I want to talk about giving this morning because it's Christmas, it's the season of giving, this is Thanksgiving weekend, last Sunday I talked about thanks, today I'm talking about giving. And I just want to come at it from from a different angle maybe than we have before and, and talk about what does the Bible actually tell us about who to give to and why. So I read this story in an article a couple weeks ago uh, about an American couple who left the U.S. to go and run an already established orphanage in Haiti. So they uprooted their life here, moved to Haiti to run an orphanage. They weren't starting a new one. They were taking over one that already existed. And they moved in, and they're taking care of the kids, and they moved to adopt one of the kids. I don't remember if it was a boy or a girl, but they adopted legally one of the children as their son or daughter, and it was all done, paperwork and legalities, and this child is, is their child. And they noticed that sometimes during the day, uh, every other week, there would be a woman come and, and visit their child, and they asked if that was some distant relative or, or whatever, and they found out that it was, it was her mom. And they were shocked and heartbroken and angry. And they did a little research and they found out it was true. And the child that they had adopted was not an orphan. And they did more research and they found out that not a single child in their orphanage was an orphan. That all of the children that they had taken over in, in this orphanage where they had taken over the management for this established ministry, not a single one of them was an orphan. They had all been put there by their parents because their parents didn't want to spend the money to raise them. And in some cases, their parents are in dire poverty, and, and who would blame them if they've got an opportunity to, to do it? Then they do it. But what they found was the real tragedy was that in most of the orphanages in, that they researched in Haiti, that there are no orphans in the orphanages, that the orphans are still out on the street. And in the gangs, because what has happened is because of Christian charity and established, organized ministry that the people have learned how to work the system and that the parents in Haiti know their child, they can get their child taken care of for free, given clothing and medical care and food and education if they'll just lie and send them off as an orphan. So the parents fill the orphanages funded by mostly American Christians. They fill them with their kids. And the real orphans, who literally are, the definition is they have no family, they don't have connections. They don't know about the quote-unquote system. They don't know what is available for them. And they get picked up by the gangs. And that's their family and their group, their social circle, their covering. And so what the church thinks it is accomplishing is not being accomplished. And what people think they're giving their money to is not being accomplished, not through any fault of the ministries that are doing it. And I'm not picking on anybody in Haiti because I'm sure it's a worldwide thing. But it was just shocking. And this author was equating that situation with the refugee crisis coming out of Syria right now. He said the reason why there are no Christians 
in the refugees that are coming into Europe and Canada and America is because the Christians are the ones that are really, truly refugees in danger of their life who need to be labeled and evacuated as political refugees, but they can't go to the UN refugee camps because they will be killed. Because their girls are raped, their food is stolen, their, their men especially will be murdered, and their women will be raped. So they don't come. So the United Nations and the other major Red Cross and UNICEF and these other uh, human rights campaigns, the groups that, that work in, in the camps, don't know where they are, and they don't have an advocate in the system, but the Muslim charity groups do, and they get their people out. And they flood what should be a workable system with people who aren't actually the ones in threat of their life. So I know it's no surprise to you, but the world system is really broken. <laughs> and the world is very wise about how to work the church. Jesus said the sons of this world are more sly than the sons of the kingdom. So I just, I don't present that I have an answer to, to these problems. I just have some musings this morning, I guess, just some, some thoughts that I've rolled over the last couple of weeks. And I didn't even know if I should approach this subject this morning, but, but it's something that I think needs said and, and that we need to think about and we need to have a Holy Spirit answer for and I don't mean the Syrian crisis or Haitian orphans. I mean our giving right here in LaGrande and the ministries that we do as a church and, and the church capital C in general. We want to be generous. We want, especially this time of year, we want to help people. We want to be kind. We want to give. But there needs to be a little bit of forethought and a little bit of wisdom in how we do things so that we don't squander Jesus' resources. You will know if you've been around our church at all, you know Alice and Marcia. They are our missionaries that we support. They're a Brazilian couple that was in the for 12 years, and now they're in. they've been here and told their stories about the poverty and the war and, the, and all of that stuff. And, and you heard him say that some of our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan live on $40 a month. And... Several of you were very powerfully moved by the specifically that one couple that he showed a picture of. He said these couple, this couple lives on $40 a month and, and they plant churches and they minister to the church in secret. And, and a lot of you were, were very moved. And I heard him say to some of you individually, I heard him say to the church and then in private conversation with Sarah and I, he and, and Marcia mentioned several things as we talked about, well, what is... What can we do? What is the answer? What is what is the way? And and overall, his his statement that he repeated, and not in these exact words, but his, his statement is that sending money does not solve the problem. And he said it as he spoke to the church, and he said it as he spoke to us. He said they have to figure it out for themselves. They have to build their own economy. They have to build their own church. And he was, of course, they're, they're foreign missionaries. They're from 
and they're uh, American citizens also. But he did say sending more missionaries is not the answer. And that church has done that in the past, and it ended up being colonialization. And so he said missionaries and money are not the answer. The church has to come up with the answer. And that the U.S., through war, but also through our money, we have ruined the economies of Iraq and Afghanistan. And not that anybody meant to, it just happened. Because you all know that, I suppose you should know, that the vast majority of the people who win the lottery are worse off a decade later than before they won the lottery. Getting something we didn't earn or build or work for ourselves has disastrous results. You can see it in the welfare system. You can see it in Iraq and Afghanistan. You can see it in our foreign aid to Africa. All we're doing is making the corrupt dictators richer. You can see it in the Indian affairs and the history of the U.S. and Canada. You can see it in the rampant abuse and fraud of Medicaid and food stamps and college student loans and disability system. And I'm here to say this morning that money messes up evangelism. Money messes up evangelism. That may sound really, really backward (laughs) because of how the church goes through with so much evangelism. But several of you who've been around more than 15 years, you remember Mark Lawson came here a couple of different times when Dwayne was our pastor, and he told a story that made a huge impact on me of a woman that they met on the street who was full of demons and drugs and She got saved and healed and delivered and in her right mind and sober and supernatural stuff happened in her salvation experience, dramatically saved. And within a couple of weeks, somebody at church gave her money. And all of a sudden, she was asking everyone for money. Well, I have this and I need this and give me that and give me this. And and Mark said, that eventually, within a month or so, when they when they had to just shut it completely down, like, no, we're not here to give you all your money, she got mad and quit and left and was nearly instantly back on the street and living her old life because of her anger that her greed was not fed. And Mark, at that time, equated Jesus sending out his 70 disciples to do ministry, he said, take no purse. We've always thought that was Jesus putting a faith test on his disciples, but Mark took that as don't carry money because evangelism is not about money. Going out and taking care of the poor is not evangelism. Let me say that again. Going out and taking care of the poor is not evangelism because love your neighbor is not the gospel. That's an instruction on how we live our life. The gospel is go into every nation and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That is the gospel. That if you will admit you need one, Jesus is the Savior. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is the great commandment for how we live. It is not the commission. So Mark said that the the Spirit taught them a very important, valuable lesson that in their street evangelism, they never, ever give anybody money. Because instantly it becomes about money. 
They're there to bring Jesus. They're there to bring the power of the Holy Spirit. They're there to bring healing and truth and light and freedom from demons and comfort and healing and whatever else, but not money. Because money perverts things. Hello? I've seen it here too. I've seen people who come around. They're here a few Sundays and then all of a sudden there's a request for money. And and we, some cases we help people and in other cases we say no and it just hardly ever fails that when we say no, those funds aren't available or we don't think that's legitimate for our ministry or whatever, we never see them again. And it's proof that if we as the elders or, or whoever's making that decision, if we had said yes and given them the money, eventually we would have got the same response also. It was about money. It wasn't about salvation or looking for Jesus or wanting to really, truly make a change in their life. So what I see is that a lot of people give out, especially in America, I guess, give out of guilt or emotional manipulation or fleshly compassion. When I first heard what I'm about to say, I got really upset. It was from Rick Joyner. And he spoke about the evil of human compassion. And it did not make any sense to me, and I got really upset. But I have since seen what, I understand what he's talking about. It's a, it's a compassion that the world has, that they don't need Jesus to feel sorry for people, and they give to charity, and it's anti-Christ. There is a world's, form of generosity that is anti-Christ. Well, what is that? It's feeling sorry for the poor person, so I'm going to give him money. Charities manipulate us with pictures of sad-eyed, dirty kids. Politicians and the news media give us manipulated statistics and humanistic answers and false compassion. There is a poverty industry. There is a charity industry that leeches the resources of the world and the church. There are Politicians, political parties, charities that need the world to remain poor so that they can get our votes and our money. Our job as representatives of Jesus Christ would be to preach the gospel to the poor, to destroy poverty in their spirit, to set them free from the lies that are making them poor. But Mitch, everybody knows Jesus said give to the poor. That's common knowledge. But where is it in the Bible? He only said it one time to one man. To the rich young ruler. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. He never said anything about it anywhere else. Now, the Bible itself, as a whole, is full of scriptures about taking care of the poor. But sometimes what is common knowledge is actually not true. Now, those of you who know me know where I'm coming from, but those of you who don't know me, I'm not saying any of this because I am ungenerous. Because we give to the poor. We give to ministries that help the poor. In fact, if you want to argue with me, we'll start by comparing the percentage you give to the, compared to the percentage we give. Yeah. 
if you beat us, I'll listen to you. I'm serious. We're not ungenerous. And I'm not saying anything out of selfishness. Everywhere the New Testament mentions giving to the poor, there is definition and limitations and instructions and distinctions. Everywhere. Every single verse. Except where Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell everything and give it all away. All of the New Testament instruction on giving to the poor has actual instructions about how to do it who to give to, and who not to. Because money perverts the gospel. There's a false Christianity, there's a counterfeit generosity that ends up defining Christianity and generosity as just be nice and be kind and give your money. And it's a fleshly human compassion that is counterfeit. Because as I said before, love your neighbor is not the gospel. But there's a worldly definition of love that is prevalent in the church. But the New Testament defines love as it pertains to generosity. And as almost all other biblical truth, it is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to the world. The church of Jesus Christ is not the United Way. We are not the Lions Club. We are not UNICEF, we are not the Peace Corps or Susan G. Komen or the American Cancer Society or Greenpeace or Amnesty International. We're the Church of Jesus Christ. And if the world is not offended by our methods of generosity, then we're not being supernatural. I said if the world is not offended by our methods of generosity, then we're not being supernatural. If love your neighbor has been reduced to something that the people of the world can do without being born again, then we have missed the mark. Let me say that again. I said if love your neighbor has been reduced to the point that the people in the world who don't know Jesus and aren't born again can do it just like we do it, we've missed the mark. Because whatever Jesus meant by love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, it has to be empowered by the Spirit or it is dead. So our giving and our ministries and our taking care of the poor better look very, very different from the world, and they don't. It looks exactly the same. It's just throw money at the problem. Or I give to the guy on the corner so that I don't feel guilty. It makes me uncomfortable to drive by him, so I'll throw a five at him. It's awful quiet in this Baptist church this morning. <laughs> if the church looks just like the world in our giving and our treatment of the poor, then we're not giving in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're not obeying the truth. On Thursday, I was watching a football game after dinner and I, there was a Salvation Army halftime show. <laughs> Luke Bryan and it was really bad off-key singing and then the cowboy cheerleaders come out in their underwear and they're dancing on the stage that has the Salvation Army logo on it and the Salvation Army leadership is down there shaking hands with Jim Jones and a bunch of the other cowboys uh, big wigs and they had a, all the 
football players saying how they give their money to the Salvation Army in the red bucket at Christmas because they're more fortunate and they want to give and take care of their neighbor. And, and it was gross. I, William and Catherine Booth are rolling over in their grave because it was not about Jesus at all. It was horrible. I was like, I know they can see it from heaven, but I just, I hope they can't see how Jesusless their church has become. Of course, they took care of the poor and they fed the hungry and they housed the homeless. But if you know who William and Catherine Booth were, you know William Booth would not have been at the Super Bowl unless he could preach Jesus Christ to the entire crowd and have an altar call and get everybody saved, healed, and delivered on the football field. Forget the game. We're here for Jesus. And our, our Christianity has been dumbed down to a, a Jesusless message that is palatable to the world. It's even something that they can do without Jesus. They can give money to charity. They can feel guilty about being rich. They can feel the difference between them and their poor neighbors and give away a turkey on Christmas. Again, I'm not I said I'm not here to say that I have any answers. I'm just I just have some musings. That in this area I don't see any difference between the church and the world. And there should be a glaring, glorifying difference. Maybe we do the same things, but there better be a very glaring difference. And whatever Jesus meant by love, love your neighbor, it has to be supernatural. It can't just be throwing money. 2 Corinthians 9.12 says this, This gift not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it also increases through many thanksgivings to God. Two whole chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, are all about an offering that the Corinthian church was going to give to the church in Jerusalem. And there's two whole chapters, the longest single passage in the New Testament in the entire Bible about money. And the context of this whole offering is that the church was giving their money to other poor Christians. And that's the context of most of the giving in the New Testament, in Acts and other places. Next scripture is Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. God's instruction is that we do good to everybody, but we start with the people who are walking with God, our Christian brothers and sisters who have needs. Romans 12, 9 to 18 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, giving to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Continuing on the same passage. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice those with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I've thought over the course of time in my life, I've thought if you could only have 
if you lived in a place where you couldn't own a Bible and it had to be secret or something, if you could only have one chapter of the entire Bible, you would want Romans 12. It has a list of, just I just read to you, this list of amazingly practical, one-sentence little instructions from Paul in how to live. And if you could narrow down the life, practical life instructions in the Bible, they're all in Romans 12. See it there about our giving? Give to the needs of the saints. Give to the needs of the saints is what God says in our giving. In Romans 15, Paul writes this, And now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased the churches from Macedonia and Achaia to give an offering for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So here's Paul talking about a different church that took an offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem, and he specifically says that we, Gentiles, who are not Jewish Christians, we owe a debt to the Jewish people. And he says specifically the Jewish believers, it is our duty to minister to them in material things. In 1 John 3, you have a very famous passage here about giving and taking care of the poor. I just want to point out one word. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in deed, but in deed, I'm sorry, do not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So I suppose that most of you know that verse, and, and John says, we give our lives for the brethren. That is that phrase is specifically and exclusively only ever used about the church. And then the next verse says, whoever sees any person? Nope. It says you see your Christian brother in need. You take care of him. I'm not at all saying you have to interrogate the person on the street corner before you buy them a Big Mac or give them a $20 bill. Are you really a Christian? That's not at all what I'm saying. I know that's ridiculous and impractical. But when people come here to the church, it is interesting to me how every single one of them is a solid Christian. I mean, by their own report. Jana's laughing. <laughs> I'm a good Christian, Pastor. I'm a good Christian. And, and I have been lied to and scammed and robbed so many times. And there's Jana nodding and smiling more. I am, I'm, just, I'm just tired of the church being ripped off. We only have so many funds. So I have just started saying, anybody that tells me of their own volition, they tell me I'm a good Christian. I said, well, then the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. If you had not told me you're a Christian, I would help you. But since you're saying you do have faith in Jesus, go out and obey him. They don't like that. I'm just here to present some thoughts. Second Thessalonians 3, Even when we were with you, we commanded you of this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk disorderly in this manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. That's not a scripture to throw up in the face of somebody who doesn't claim to be a Christian. But if somebody does claim to be a Christian, that is a command. 
you work your own job, you pay your own bills, you eat your own food. That is a command to everyone who says they're a disciple of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide, and the context is financially, if anyone does not provide for his own family and for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And back to verse 3 and 4. It says, honor widows who are really widows, meaning they do not have a husband or children. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So Paul goes so far as to say, we know in Acts that the church took care of feeding and providing needs for the widows in the church. Paul goes so far to say as the church will only take on those who actually, truly, literally have no family to take care of them. If they have children and grandchildren, the church will not support them. That's the New Testament limitation on charity is true widows and not this passage, but others thrown in true orphans. That's it. And you would say, but what if they don't? Paul says, let them learn. That might be some hard circumstances. But their family must take care of them. Continuing on in the passage, a widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? Paul has some seriously strict limitations and some seriously high expectations of who the church will give money to. You do not give it to them because they need it. Do they qualify? This is the word of God, folks. Continuing the next passage, the younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires are strong and they will want to remarry. So I advise these younger widows, and in our day, that's kind of rare, but in their day with war and disease and a much shorter lifespan, it would have been very common for a girl in her 20s or 30s to already be a widow, particularly because of war. Um, and so this is not real common in our day, but it, is, it was for them. And he says, I advise those younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, if a Christian woman has anybody in her family who is a widow, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Jesus ripped the Pharisees, for telling people they didn't have to financially take care of their parents in their old age. The Pharisees would say, you don't need to support your parents, you give the money to the temple to us. Jesus was greatly displeased, to say the least. We take care of grandma. We take care of your aunts and uncles. We take care of family. She must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Like I said, that's some seriously strict limitations and some very high expectations that are pretty much completely ignored. 
by all churches and charities. And so vast amounts, I'm sure hundreds of millions of dollars is not an overstatement. Hundreds of millions of dollars are spent every year in the name of Jesus on things that aren't the gospel. That aren't done in the power of the Holy Spirit. I saw it in Europe. I've seen I saw it in San Francisco on a mission trip there a decade and a half ago where a church had a soup kitchen and, and the people in line had on their stereos and, and their cell phones and, and they were just waiting to get a free meal and it wasn't about Jesus and and they weren't even reaching all of the really truly mentally ill and homeless people on the streets. It was just people sucking off the system. So again, I I don't have any answers. I'm not here to propose or dictate how you should give this Christmas or or anything like that. I'm just here to point out that where the New Testament tells us very clearly to give is to support the gospel of Jesus, which is the church and missionaries, to take care of our family and very clearly our extended family, to take care of widows and orphans, people who have no family, to take care of poor Christians with a special highlight for Jewish believers in that passage in Romans. And I, there's not a verse that says it, but you can see it in Jesus' ministry and with the apostles that we take care of those who are truly disabled who are, for mental reasons or physical reasons just cannot hold a job and thank God that we live in a country where that gets done where even a fallen government has enough of a Christian ethic that we take care of people really as I said I don't have a conclusion I don't have a hey do this and it'll solve the problem <laughs> I don't have a this is the answer I just had some thoughts some musings some observations what I'm really wanting is for you to think and pray about how you give and do it in the direction of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we do it, at the direction of our King, we will look different than the world. And instead of throwing money and food at the problem, we will begin to solve the problem. Thank you, Ken. I got one amen on that. I said, as we follow the direction of our king and we give the supernatural direction of the spirit, we will not be throwing money and food at the problem. We will begin to solve the problem, which is lies people believe and attitudes of the heart it's spiritual bondage. I mean it. Poverty is demonic. It's a scourge on the earth. It's from hell. And as we see people saved, born again in Jesus, they will be delivered from those lies and those behaviors and those fears that are making them poor. And without a single dollar being thrown at anyone out of condescending charity 
or guilty, got to relieve my conscience sort of giving, we can change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have any ideas, let me know. <laughs> I'm serious. This is a, an area I want to attack, but not in any way that I see anybody doing it. Because it isn't working. It binds people up, keeps them in that bondage and poverty, and doesn't ever really solve the problem. When we do it Jesus' way, it will offend the world. Like, no, that isn't love. That isn't charity. That can't be God. That isn't generous. But we'll know it is. Because it's actually solving the problem and confronting the darkness. Thank you for your amens. <laughs> All six of you. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we ask for your truth, for your revelation, for how to defeat your enemy, poverty. Lord, we want to see poverty thinking and believing and fears broken in our neighbors, our classmates, our students, the people in our valley, Lord is not known for being a prosperous area. Lord, we pray for heavenly prosperity, for divine strategies that destroy addiction and death and destruction and waste and laziness and fear and all of the different things the devil uses to make us poor. Lord, we pray for true Heavenly compassion. For not forgiving out of guilt or shame because we should, but for true heavenly compassion that solves the problem, that sets individual people's hearts and minds free from their fears and addictions and beliefs that are ruining their life. Lord, fill our mouths with your word, fill our hands with your power, fill our minds with your truth, that we can minister true generosity, that we can minister true freedom from destruction and the ravages that Satan has done to the poor. Lord, make us a church where there is success in turning lives around, where there is real freedom, where there is business creativity and jobs and financial success that is supernatural. That you would make us a city on a hill, a shining light, that the world would see and know that we are not that smart. That has to be Jesus. Lord, we ask for your truth, we ask for your freedom, we ask for your power, we ask for your generosity, we ask for your compassion in this season of giving. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you for every good thing you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.